Thanks, Ken. Thanks, Fiona, for doing that reading and your little sticky notepad thing worked. You stopped right on the right spot. In a couple of weeks, uh, have I got this on all right? You can hear me. A couple of weeks, uh, I committed a long time ago to the church where my dad used to be pastor at Haddon um, to go and, and speak up there in a couple of weeks just outside of Ballarat. Um, it was meant to be part of a series, but they just changed that due to some circumstances. He said, "I just uh, you can speak on whatever you'd like. It's an open topic. <clears throat> I can guarantee you it definitely won't be these verses. I found, I found it a bit difficult, more difficult than usual, to um, see through the, the detail, to see what is it that we need to get out of this what what is the message here we often turn to you know micah 6 8 when we have our own topic you know you can come and speak whatever you want or isaiah 40 or you know something with some astounding verses that just speak with all this truth in such few words but as we've seen over the last couple of weeks second corinthians and especially this very beginning passage, we don't find those sort of big theological verses. There's a lot of detail about what's happening at that time in this church to these people, to Paul, the founder of the church, and, and to the, the, the Corinthian church, and, and to these false teachers, the, the super apostles, as they referred to. And Graham sort of laid the foundation to, to that a couple of weeks ago. Um, and last week we, we sort of swapped and changed a bit around. You might notice that Keith couldn't come this week, so we swapped around, but he kept his passage in chapter 2 and uh, into chapter 3. Last week follows on from where we're looking today. Keith spoke about the, the message, uh, the aroma of the gospel that it can have the smell of life but can also have the stench of death to those who reject it Corinth was a was a city that had plenty of thoroughfare a city that had a thriving economy influential people and the the mindset and the attitude of society had crept into the attitude of the church. Here is a church full of young believers, a, a new church in the in the you know the new church era, two thousand years ago. And I guess they're needing guidance and direction: what to do, what not to do. And to be honest, two thousand years later, we even though this church has been here for over a hundred years, I think or close to 100 years, things haven't really changed. We still need direction, we need guidance. And that's why we have God's Word, and that's why we have Second Corinthians. This very personal letter that Paul writes is so much to do with their attitude. They had been commended in ways 
But there's also a warning. And Paul says, don't mistake the truth of the gospel. Don't be fooled by these so-called apostles and teachers that characterise a follower of Jesus as someone who is great to listen to, has got great speech and is so impressive. Someone with the body physique of a, of a mat, you know, the big muscles and the big hair, you know, great to look at. Someone who has plenty of income. All in with all the right crowds in the community. That is not who you are in Christ, Paul's message through the this letter. That's not who you are in Christ, but it is sadly what you will become if you follow the message from these super apostles. And Paul writes, among other things, they claim that I'm physically weak, that my letters are frightening, that I'm not really that impressive to listen to. But he goes on and defends and speaks of his love for them. And he defends the charges that are coming against him in opposition. That it's not about the physique, it's not about the words. It's about sincerity in the message, which hasn't changed. The gospel of Jesus. And so as we look at this new church, in in this new church era, and we do have similar issues and similar concerns and similar lessons to be learnt. And and I ask these sort of questions and I want to finish with a few questions as well this morning uh, just for us to sort of think about. Well, what should church look like? What should a teacher sound like? Are we more interested in a performance or a message of sincere truth? How accepting are we of suffering in the Christian life? Are we able to see the good that can come from it? How compassionate are we to the poor? Does it sit well with us to be seen as weak people in the eyes of the world? As I said, Paul, in this early, early in this personal letter from Paul, he, he starts to defend himself against these accusations. And, and they're really targeting his faithfulness and integrity. His faithfulness and integrity. His, his loyalty and his honesty. And his defence, as we'll see a bit more today, is to align his loyalty and his faithfulness to that of God's. That this is who God is, therefore, this is who I am. And if you want to believe the, the lies of these super apostles who are trying to deceive you and tell you how I am you know, the Apostle Paul and his message is unfaithful and he is not a person of integrity, you can't trust him. Well, that means you're actually denying 
the message I bring you, which is the gospel of Jesus Christ. These are people that Paul has, has shown the way of salvation to, people that he is guided and been a spiritual mentor to. Is he really a person who is all talk and no action? Is he really a person who says one thing and does another? And these attacks that are, that are coming at Paul, um, a, a lot of it is based around his travel plans. Um, and, and, and Graham mentioned a bit about his travel plans in, in uh, two weeks ago. In 1 Corinthians 16, the first letter Paul writes, he, he speaks there about if the Lord permits, he says to them of his intention to spend winter with them after his time in Macedonia. But you see, there's confusion about Paul's plans. Why didn't he come? What is clear is that he made a painful visit. It says in chapter 2 verse 1, he made a painful visit to them. It involved church discipline. It was a harsh time. Hence Paul cancelled a scheduled visit and wrote them a severe letter instead. And so Paul's opponents are seized on this change of plans to say to the people that Paul is a bit wishy-washy. Like he, he says, yes, yes, I'm coming, but... No, no, really inside he's saying like, no, no, I probably couldn't be bothered. But he's telling you yes. But he doesn't really want to, he doesn't care about you. And they use this word in in verses 15 to 18, vacillating. And it means to easily waver between different opinions and actions. And in verse 17 it says, making his plans according to the flesh where it's translated earthly. In verse 15, we just read it, because I was confident of this, I planned to visit you first so that you might benefit twice. I planned to visit you on my way to Macedonia and to come back to you from Macedonia, then to have you send me on my way to Judea. When I planned this, did I do it lightly or do I make my plans in a worldly manner so that in the same breath I say yes, yes and no, no? But as surely as God is faithful... Our message to you is not yes and no. This whole, this, this accusation that Paul was, a, was, a, was, a, was being, you know, saying yes but meaning no and, and he didn't know really, you couldn't really trust him. This was the accusation. And once you put a seed of doubt, of, of honesty and integrity in people's minds about a leader... That's where you'll get people to change their minds about someone. Well, I think we see that played out a lot in uh, politics of today. Uh, in politics today, if, if politicians can get you to believe the opposition are not people you can trust, well then that is going to go a long way for victory at election. I think we, we see that just in our state politics. And both parties are pointing the finger at each other, how corrupt they are, and oh, how corrupt you are. And it, because as soon as you can put a seed of doubt of integrity and loyalty, well, then it's very hard to be led and guided by 
someone who is, has no loyalty, who is dishonest. And this was the accusations, the opposition that Paul faced. And part of that narrative is that the Corinthians were being told, Paul doesn't really care about you. And you notice, though, I think we see it, especially in verse 16, is it's so personal, this letter. He must write this letter with those thoughts in his mind that, hey, I need to convince you, I care about you. This is personal, I know you. He denies the accusations emphatically by asking these two rhetorical questions in verse 17. When I planned this, did I do this lightly? Did I make this decision lightly? Well, of course not. Do I make my plans in a worldly manner? Do I say, yes, I'm going to do this, but really I'm meaning no? Well, of course not. Earlier, he, he boasts in, 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 uh, in verse 12, he, he boasts that his conscience bears witness that he has acted in holiness and godly sincerity. And and Paul continues this defence by arguing that God's own faithfulness, God's faithfulness, guarantees the honesty and integrity of Paul's word to the Corinthians. You see, this is not just about me, the Apostle Paul, and my word to you, but I'm using God himself as my part of my defence. And Paul supplies two pieces of evidence to back up this claim. First he says, the message that I preached about, about, about Jesus Christ our Saviour, whom fulfilled every single promise of God, was not about a saviour who is yes and no, not about a saviour who said one thing but did another. And so if it's true about the message that I brought to you that has changed your life around and has brought you salvation, then why would you doubt my word now? And secondly, God has been at work in both Paul and the Corinthians. And we read there in verse 21 and 22 that their conversion, at their conversion they were anointed and they were sealed and as a mark of ownership God gave them the Holy Spirit. And now in the present, on the basis of that work, God is establishing them. He, it says, makes us stand firm and it's a verb that means it's, a, it's an ongoing process. Established and make us stand firm in Christ. You know, there's, there's many reasons and, and many circumstances that can have us doubting who we are in Christ. And for all those different circumstances and for all those different reasons, there is nothing more important than to come back to the Word of God. Wonderful passages. 
probably none better than Ephesians 1. Who, who am I in Christ? <clears throat> For the Corinthian church, two questions really follow on after reading this from Paul. If God worked in them so decisively through Paul, why should we question him now? And secondly, if God is working in both Paul and the Corinthians, establishing them in Christ, how how can they now tolerate any sort of division between this apostle who started this church and them as a congregation, as believers, as the church in Corinth. And and, and Paul makes a really important point that this is not about anything else. My motivation in where I should be and what I need to do and what I need to say is all about my love. It's all done in love having earlier called his conscience as a witness. In verse 12, Paul calls the faithful God himself as a witness in his defence. Verse 23 says, I call God as my witness that it was in order to spare you that I did not return to Corinth. He didn't fail to return, not to return to Corinth because he is worldly-minded, or because he didn't care for the Corinthians, but because he wanted to spare them from the sort of disciplinary confrontation which had proved necessary on his last visit. And it was painful. His goal was not to serve himself or to put himself up in any sort of idle idle way, put himself on any pedestal but his goal was to serve them and that's the example the Lord set just as the joy of the Corinthians came from Paul's ministry so too his own joy came from them from their faith Having explained why he didn't visit, Paul explains why he wrote instead and his goal was to be positive and negative. There were things that still needed to be addressed. He wanted to avoid the pain of a visit but he wanted to assure them of his abundant love. And he speaks of the emotion that he has for them, his anguished heart, his many tears. And his love for them. As Paul waited for the how this letter had been received, it says he was deeply anguished in in verse twelve of chapter two. He was deeply anxious. His non-appearance seems to have been a little bit controversial. That he hasn't come back, and Paul's waiting for this response from Titus on how the church has received this letter. And these few verses are 
that we that we've read in chapter two concern a, an inappropriate action by by someone in the church and, and the relationship between Paul and the Corinthians and this man. Uh, we we don't have the exact detail. There's some commentary around what has actually happened. Might be an incident that's referred to in one Corinthians. But as Paul deals with it, he he, he sees that the the majority of the majority of the Christian of the Corinthians had agreed to discipline, and where they were once reluctant to discipline, now they're reluctant to stop discipline. And Paul tells them that this man has paid sufficiently. The Corinthians had demonstrated obedience to God. But now is a time for reconciliation. I reckon verse 12 would have been a really difficult time for Paul. He went to Troas to preach the gospel of Christ, found that the Lord had opened the door, but his heart and mind was so connected and, and for these people that he had no peace and he hadn't found his brother Titus yet. And it goes on to just speak of the heart that he had for his for these people. As I said at the beginning, there's a there's a lot of detail in the passage. And as we work through Corinthians, some of that detail might help us in the context to understand things further down. Um, especially when you get to chapters 10 and 11 and Paul talks more about these accusations. So what about all this detail? What about this story? What about the, the thoughts and the emotions that Paul's having? What does it mean in 2022 for us? What about the, the Corinthian church and the way that they're being influenced and their attitude to the gospel message, to their, the apostle who has started this church, to the acceptance of the, 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 the charges laid against him as opposition from these super apostles. Is there any relevance for us? Well, as I said, I want to leave you just with some questions to ponder. And they're questions that have just challenged me this week. Um, So I'm praying and hoping that these are questions that will sit with you and challenge you as well. As God's people, his church, in our minds, what characterises a leader. Um, I'm challenged in this both ways. Obviously in my role as an elder here and in my paid role as a pastor here at Monty. Is it stacked towards professionalism? Is it stacked towards a, someone who can do a wonderful presentation and sounds so good? 
is that people who are great at commending themselves, boasting in their own works. Because let's be honest, around the world that is very attractive. Very attractive. What about when we are under attack? What about when we're targeted as Christians? When we're accused? Are we ready to claim our identity in Christ as the reason for the living the way we do? Because it is so easy to boast in what we do. It is easy to boast in, maybe not verbally, but in our own minds. I think Paul's response and his defence is an amazing example to us. That this message that he has brought them, the message that has saved them, the message of the gospel and the God who has made this happen is his defence. You want to target me, you want to accuse me I, I, I am challenged then to say I, I do those things and I say those things based on the fact that I'm doing what God has called me to do maybe we look at our own life and we say that's very hard to say um Can I look in my life and say, I'm saying these things, I'm living this way based on the fact that this is who my God is and so I am being faithful to who he is and his call on my life. That was Paul's defence. That was Paul's defence. Can it be your defence this week? Can it be your defence this week? Boasting in what the Lord has done, not in our own works. Father God, I come to you and uh, we come as your people. And uh, Father, we thank you that your spirit is here and working in each and every one of us. And we come to a passage that maybe is hard to grasp all of the nitty-gritty detail. But we ask as we go away, Lord, from here, that you would just challenge each and every one of us with something from today. We know that this being part of your word is powerful um, and it's here for a purpose. Um, Lord, help us to be people who are in people of integrity and people who are faithful um, in this world. Um, that is a shining light in a, in a world that um, looks to success being about money and possessions and power and authority. 
Uh, may the weakness that we show the world uh, be a real strength um, and, and be powerful in displaying your character in our lives. We just thank you for this opportunity to be together, um, to encourage one another, um, to remember our Saviour um, and be instructed from your word. We, we do thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.